I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Take a deep breath. Crush yourself. Go kill him. If that sounds like a line from the room, the Citizen Kane of bad movies, it is not. Instead, it is a tweet gone wrong. What's good, Internet? You're listening to The Syrupcast. The Syrupcast, in case you're tuning in for the first time, is a podcast by Mobile Syrup, Canada's largest independent tech site. Each episode, we cover the week that was in Canadian tech and telecom news. You're listening to episode 156. Today is Thursday, February 1st, 2018. This week, I'm joined by Patrick O'Rourke. Patrick, how are you? Good. I want some context about that tweet, though. Maybe in the show. Maybe later. Okay. Yes. Okay. I want to know. <laughs> it's an you're Easter leave, egg. You're leaving me hanging. We got to keep our, you know, our readers, and by readers I mean listeners, hanging by a thread. Fair. Fair. Um, Rose Bihar. Rose, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you for the enticing lead-in. I'm very interested to to wait out the show and get to know what that means. You know, it is 2018, and I've decided we need to pick up the Supercast. It <laughs> needs to step up. And last, but certainly not least. Returning after a very brief tease, we have Simon Cohen. Simon. Hi, thanks for having me back. No, thank you for coming back after we kicked you off after 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, that, that was unfortunate. I blame Teddy. <laughs> we all do. Um, so usually the lead up to Mobile World Congress, which occurs in late February, is uneventful. But uh, here in Canada, it's been a crazy week. Um, we've had, seems all the carriers just decided to do stuff. Um, so this week, we're going to talk about fair play. Uh, what it is, what it wants to do. Um, and we're also going to talk about the recent, uh, they're not layoffs at this point, but they are potential buyouts at Shop and Slash Freedom Mobile. Um, Rose, as always, I'm going to turn to you to set the scene for us. Um, tell us about Fair Play. What is it? Who's behind it? What do they want to do? So the driving influence behind Fair Play Canada is Bell and Bell Media. And we've seen um, drafts of this proposal already through Canada Land and then briefly through a CBC before, or Globe and Mail, I think it was, before it actually came to light. But the idea is Bell is driving this anti-piracy initiative along with Rogers Media and along with CBC. Um, and what they want to do is create an independent agency that identifies uh, pirates piracy sites uh, to completely be blocked by Canadian internet service providers. Um, and they are saying that uh, the agency would dictate this and then there would be recourse um, to get those sites unblocked through the Court of Appeals. Of course, all of this has really raised a lot of flags for um, net neutrality supporters and uh, consumer ad advocacy groups. Uh, specifically because there's no um, judicial oversight previous to this supposed decision. Um, so far, they've they've proposed this to the CRTC, Bell, and the rest of Fair Play Canada, but um, there's been no word about whether CRTC is going to open a consultation yet. It hasn't done that yet. 
Um, and then when it does, it would be, you know, quite obviously a lengthy process to to continue forward with this project. Um, but Bell is very intent on it. They even tried to raise this idea during the NAFTA negotiations. So it's something that, that they're very serious about. And so it's somewhat surprising to uh, a lot of people that Rogers joined them because Rogers has typically been more on the pro-net neutrality side of things when it comes to the three major carriers. Um, but they, they joined in as well, Rogers Media, and um, agreed that this should be a, a factor. So it's, you know, it's, it's uh, been very polarizing subject. There's already been a lot of uh, think pieces on it. And um, I know from my point of view, I think it is concerning for, for net neutrality for a number of reasons. Right. So, Simon, you are a guest of honor. Oh, um, what do you. you make of the surface level, I should say? What do you make of the proposal? Yeah, I think I think on, on I could see this from two different sides. On the one hand, you know, because Bell has a ton of content that they own, that they obviously want to protect and a lot of licensing deals in place. They are the, the licensed carrier for a ton of properties that tend to get pirated a lot because Canadians like them. Uh, and so I'm sure they see this as, as an attempt to protect their own business interests. And fair enough, but we probably all do the same in their shoes. Uh, that said, I also see this as an attempt on their part to push the policing of this stuff to the government, to the CRTC, and say, you know what, we're sick and tired of trying to protect our own interests and be the bad guys when people complain about net neutrality. You Why don't you government take this on and that way we're blameless because if you tell us to block something well we're just doing what you've told us to do mm-hmm. and you know this certainly gets them out of a out of a bind by doing that uh but that that said i think there's there's all kinds of possibilities for abuse in this situation Pat, uh so i i've always contended that the only way to combat piracy is through a service that's convenient and affordable um i think that blocking like you block these websites there's there's way to circumvent these things that are relatively easy to use there's multiple options like you could use a vpn you could use a dns switcher there's many different ways to get around a website being blocked even at the internet service provider level to to my understanding and it's stuff people do in Mm -hmm. other european countries where this this is already in place already being blocked um so i think i can just interrupt you for a second sure let it be known that patrick built his career on writing the guide, <laughs> how to get American Netflix. I did. Yes, I read that guide. I've used that guide. <laughs> it's, one, it's probably the most read story in my career. Uh, yeah, some someday I'll tell the story of how that that, that came to be. Um, but yeah, I I, I I I understand why companies want to p- protect their intellectual property. Um, I can totally acknowledge that piracy is a problem. I just don't think that this is the way to tackle it. I don't think that it's gonna do a lot it may uh discourage some people uh but those that want to pirate things are going to find a way to do it anyways um simon you made a really good point to me uh before the podcast which was for countries where this has been attempted there's been very little evidence that it's actually helped yeah i mean i'm not uh, i'm not aware of any studies that have you know conclusively shown that when you put in this kind of, of blocking attempt that it shuts down piracy altogether i mean it may have a dampening effect for sure anytime you make anything harder for people it definitely lowers the amount of participants for sure um but uh you know to patrick's point 
I guess one of the dangers in, in implementing this is that there is precedent for this and there's a lot of people that we can learn from should we want to get around these new blocks that get put in place. And I have no doubt that, you know, again, as Patrick said, for those who are intent, where there's a will, there's a way. And and I further agree that that the easiest way to combat this problem is just to make it easier for people to legitimately access the content that they want. Mm. I'm sure we've all been in one of those situations and I, I call it like it's the it's the the death of the video store problem. On the one hand, video store rentals are basically all but but gone. On the other hand, digital services that let us stream and rent and access content haven't quite got to the point where anything we want we can get. You know, I spend probably on the order of $250 a month for content between TV subscriptions and Netflix and Google Play and and on demand. That's a lot of money every month. Why can't I get things that I want to get. There's still some movie titles out there that I want, cannot get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think in some way, the best thing Bell could have done to address this problem is what it's already done, which is bring Game of Thrones to Crave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And that was major, a major thing that is often torrented was Game of Thrones. Yeah, absolutely. And Crave catches a a lot of flack for being the, the sort of lesser Canadian Netflix, but if you take a step back and actually look at the service, there, there's some reasonable value there for the price tag. I mean, it's not Netflix; like it, it is, it is a Canadian platform, and there, there, there's the whole uh, uh, issue of uh, Canadian rights. Mm-hmm. They're sold in different regions. There's U.S. rights for shows. There's Canadian rights for shows. Um, so, I, I mean, it's definitely not as robust, but there's there's some stuff there worth mm-hmm. worth watching on it. I mean, there's some studies and reports recently that have shown that with um, content being easier to access through certain platforms like Netflix or through Spotify for music streaming, um, piracy actually has gone down. So there's a question of whether it actually is a big enough issue to address it like this. And one of our one of the people that I spoke to for the article, um, Open Media's Katie Anderson, she said it was like, um, going after a mosquito with a machine gun. So it, <laughs> yeah. it, then I think that does kind of put it in perspective. Like it's a bit of an overreach and we do actually already have a system of recourse for um, pirated content. That's the takedown orders that you can go to f- uh, the courts for. So, I mean, there's a question of definitely do we need it and do we need it at this level? And I think in both uh, respects, the answer is no. I, I do think that it would curb piracy probably a little bit in the same way that the the notice and notice system that's in place where if someone pirates something uh via their internet connection um internet service providers are mandated to uh i guess forward piracy notices that are sent out by movie production studios Mm -hmm. uh, music studios whatever they have to send those through uh mandated by canadian law to whoever pirated it um i i think that that scares some people and then it stops them from pirating things uh so maybe some people you throw in this extra step they're not going to want to go through the hassle of of pirating content anymore but the number of people that that's going to affect i think is very small right and so i think the question then becomes even if it reduces the amount of people who are pirating content at what cost is it and uh rose what i wanted to ask you is uh since canada land first broke the story they've positioned it as kind of an attack on net neutrality We've since seen people come on kind of both sides, uh, including, you know, the Minister of Innovation. Mm-hmm. So, oh, sorry, Science, Economic Development, <laughs> and what was it? No, that's it. Innovation, <laughs> Science, and Economic There's Development. There's just too many. It, it's <laughs> a better one. It was industry. It's candidate. a super long name. Yeah. And gummy bears. And gummy bears. <laughs> um, it's my favorite department. 
I think it's really important that we unpack this, though. Like, where does everyone stand on this? This do they do you think that this is an attack on net neutrality? I mean, people see it as a slippery slope. That's what we've heard, which is kind of vague wording for sure. What does that really mean? But I think it's it's a fair thing to say because once you remove this judicial oversight um, and you remove the people who are actually qualified to apply the law and fairly without any interest in um, the the effects, then there's um, that's a precedent that you're setting not just for pirated content but for maybe other kinds of quote unquote offensive content. Um, and then, of course, what become what is offensive? Who's able to judge that? So mm-hmm. that's where the slippery slope aspect comes in, and I could see it. Um, I could see it unraveling. Simon, yeah. I, I, to build on that, I think it's also problematic the way this uh, has been defined, because as I understand it, the the goal will be to have this uh, CRTC group be responsible for maintaining a database of blocked content based on its level of of piracy that's going on but the words used to define that uh i don't really understand how you're going to figure out which website in particular is on that bad side of the piracy equation i mean given that basically anytime you go to any website ever you are downloading whatever that content is to your computer before you can read it that's how browsers work whether it's on a phone or a computer so we're all downloading content that is copyrighted all the time so then the question becomes all right so in which cases are we going to sites that are accessing copyright material that did not belong to that group to distribute i mean in the journalism world as we know where it's it's fraught there's so many instances where where organizations legitimately have provided content that's oops copyrighted and did they seek permission did they not we don't know uh it's confusing and I think the, uh, the the big question then becomes, so who is going to be the final arbiter of what constitutes an unacceptable amount of copyright infringement? Who decides that? You know what this reminds me of, Pat, is YouTube's three-strike system. Oh, yeah. Where it's, what's interesting about that system is you as the content creator, if something uh, impedes or has copyrighted content or you get a strike, you have to argue that it doesn't have. And that seems to me like, that's an inversion of how the system like we typically think of like the justice system working for lack of a better kind of term is you know um innocent until proven guilty here it's like you're guilty until you're proven innocent i guess um and i can just see like that system is reviled by uh content creators on youtube and i can see the same thing happening here is like it just too much of the burden falls on the people for better or worse, we get accused of piracy, right? The the other thing I was thinking too, just as you mentioned that is like, so uh, to my understanding, torrenting mm-hmm. has somewhat gone out of style for people to pirate stuff. Mm-hmm. It's all about Android TV boxes and Kodi and plugins. How do you block a Kodi plugin? There's tons and tons of them. There's yeah. so many different platforms. There's so many different ways of like setting up an Android TV. Everyone has their own specific way of doing it. How do you maintain a list of, of that, right? Yeah, like, you can't just block a website and say we're done. Yeah, there, there's so much. To, like, I, I, it just makes no sense. It makes even less sense now that that crosses my mind. Hmm. Rose, how do you think this is going to once, you, you know, what is the CRTC's response going to be? Are we going to go to a hearing, you think? 
You know, so I've heard a lot about how our new chairperson, Ian Scott, is um, a person who likes to hear all sides of the story. Hmm. So I actually think he will um, open this up to a consultation. Um, but I also think that because he is a person who apparently likes to hear all sides of the story, it's going to be a long process. And the end result, I would suspect, probably won't fall, will fall in the middle rather mm-hmm. than to either side. So that, that would be my prediction um, going off what, we, what little we know about the, the current CRTC. So when you say the middle, what do you mean? I don't think that obviously the, the full vision of, of Bell's Fair Play Canada agency will be realized. We, we have heard that, that Ian Scott might be a little bit lean towards industry, but I, um, I think from what we've seen with ISED and even the prime minister backing net neutrality and ISED, the ISED minister uh, sort of denouncing in a way, in, in very vague terms, this particular plan, um, I think there's, there's, too, there's too much government pressure that it would not necessarily able to go through anything to add guys uh, i think politically rose is right i don't i think at this time with a liberal federal government mm-hmm. it's less likely to gain support they i tend to think of them as the party that prefers to tell companies what to do as opposed to tell people what to do mm-hmm. uh and you know if we had a conservative government things might be different there might be a, a greater lean towards backing uh folks like bell on something like this but right now yeah i'm not sure yeah. i see it what's what is the argument that this doesn't affect net neutrality like that that's what i i don't quite understand you have to like it's like super nitty-gritty okay like okay i mean i think the basic is it doesn't affect net neutrality because we're talking about illegal right yeah like a perfect example is uh like there's so many games for instance video games that were like they're 20 30 years old now no one maintains them right they're called abandonware um and you're technically pirating that, right? Mm-hmm. But like the person, the company that made that game probably doesn't exist anymore. Like ROMs, Super Nintendo the ROMs, ROM. NES ROMs, yeah. right? Like exactly. some, or like really old MS DOS games, right? Like who maintain? No one has any interest in making money on that because no one makes money on that anymore, yeah. right? So there's so many of these gray areas, right? Where it becomes it's way more complicated than people make it out to be. Right. I mean, if you have a a, a torrenting site that has, let's say. 50% absolute, no question, copyright infringement going on. Mm. But then 50% of the files are shared um, public domain, uh, like old books that have, that have uh, gone completely out of copyright. Mm. Um, so where do, that, where, does the, where do they sit? Are, yeah. are, they, are they on the copyright violation side or, or not? I mean, that happened when I was trying to download a, a book by Ernest Hemingway. It's uh, now in, in the public domain. There, there is no copyright on it. And it just so happens that the easiest way to get it was from a torrenting site. So, mm. of course, I would use that yeah why wouldn't i i've had that happen with games before too like a super old super nintendo game there's literally no platform that i can get it on if i even if i wanted to legally the only way to get it would be through getting a rom and the way to do that is with a torrent Mm. so yeah uh switching gears um rose i'm gonna ask you to set the table again uh there's something uh something's rotten in the state of shaw (laughs) (laughs) i like that introduction um, so unfortunately, not a uh, cheery news story, but uh, Shaw. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Has volunteered to buy out 6,500 of its employees, um, which is represents roughly 46% of its total workforce. Um They're offering a decent severance package, six months compensation plus a month for every year that that the person has worked at the company. Um, But many are now, uh, from speaking with sources within Shaw, many are now concerned about um, what comes next if they don't take the buyout, Um, whether there will be any jobs for them or whether it will just be involuntary layoffs. This did come as a surprise to the workers and I think to most of the industry. Um, It's a massive buyout, unprecedented for Shaw and of course with little precedent anywhere else in the industry. Um, And it's mostly really sad when it comes to affecting smaller communities out west where people don't necessarily have other options to uh, go and work for, even if they do get that that severance package, which is fairly generous. Um, what Shah, the Shah gave the reasoning that they were moving to online care, cutting out a lot of roles in that capacity, trying to automate, automate and digitize. Uh, that was hard to say. And so... So that's why they're getting rid of a lot of employees. However, again, when we spoke to different sources and when I looked through different forums, it seemed actually that a lot of the employees were uh, not customer facing. Many installers, many engineers, that sort of thing. So again, we're not completely clear on whether that's the ultimate reason. There's been rumors floating around within Shaw of all sorts of things, ranging from a change in leadership to uh, finally Shaw outsourcing their customer care, which is something that they don't currently do. Um, And then, you know, uh, other people have floated other ideas, such as are they reducing their cable business to focus on wireless? Obviously, with Freedom, they have invested so much in wireless. Um, And one analyst that we spoke to from IDC Canada said, well, you know, that, that cost a lot over the past year. There's a necessity to please shareholders by trimming costs. Um, But again, this buyout is so large that it it does make the mind, it it does lead you to wonder why, why now, why this many employees, what, what were they, what are they preparing for? So I think the perfect place to start there is like, what do we make of that statement that they're trying to kind of reinvent themselves towards more of a self-serve model? And Pat, do you want to get us? I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I guess they would have to have the infrastructure in place, right, to move to, to self-serve. So I guess that makes sense, but I, I can't help but feel like there's some sort of other motivation behind it. Um, I know we talked about it when we first saw the announcement, Rose, that it, it could have something to do with the shift to wireless following the Freedom Acquisition. I'm kind of leaning towards that. That's what I mm-hmm. think that maybe is the underlying reasoning behind... Because uh, uh, like, if you look at... the 
the number of employees that are, that are being offered the buyouts like I'm trying to find it in your story here do you remember what the total 6500 yeah but well, the total amount of employees at at Shaw, I mean sorry oh 14000 14000 yeah. that, that's like a huge chunk, chunk of the yeah. company that's about right? half like, yeah that's pretty crazy when you think about it it's massive they um, said they only expect 10% to take the offer but from speaking with yeah. different sources, they all of the sources said, oh, conservatively, I estimate 25% or higher. There was an estimation that a lot more would take that offer and than then, 10%. And then, like, what happens if you don't take the buyout, right? Like, a couple a couple months down the line, like, as someone who's worked somewhere where buyouts were, were frequently offered, um, it's it's a very interesting situation to be in, especially when you don't know um, if, you, if, you, if you'll get laid off, like, three weeks later without taking the buyout, right? Simon, what do you make of the situation? Oh boy, I tell you, it's um, it's crazy. I, I the first question I have is, how do you run a company that used to take twice as many people on half as many people? How do you crazy. do? I can't imagine that it's just one business function that would be affected by something like that. I just, I don't, I don't see that. It must be many business functions that will be affected. I'm also kind of wondering. Okay, so they do that. Obviously, shareholders are happy because anytime you improve profits, that's a good thing for them. Um, but what is, what's the end game here? Are they getting ready for a, for a big investment and need that extra capital? Uh, and if so, what does that investment look like? What's that going to be in? Clearly mobile is a strong contender, but does that mean they want to be say the first 5g network in Canada? I don't know. That's interesting. Recently, Shaw did join the board of 5G Americas as Canada's only representative. Ah, interesting. And they've been very cagey with me on the subject of 5G um, but I would be surprised to hear that because I have heard very little from uh, telecom infrastructure companies that they might be working with Shaw. Again, it could be under wraps, but um, we do speak a lot with Qualcomm and Huawei and, you know, we look at what Ericsson and Nokia are doing as well. So, but I, I agree with you that it's likely a mobile play and in, in, that's as far as, I mean, from what we've seen of them, it seems very likely. We know that not long ago they pat they trademarked Shaw Mobile, for instance, and so that's something that we've discussed internally, and and um, it, that it sort of indicates maybe they want to have a premium um, carrier and so, freedom as the lower carrier. Before you say any more. Mm -hmm big picture what do you think this means for freedom uh, is this the beginning of the end for freedom mobile and kind of the birth of shaw mobile so that's a really good question i don't think it's the end for freedom mobile um and and at least not for a very long time but i do think that you know the trademark of shaw mobile is a very strong indication that they have plans to launch a premium tier and that that premium tier would then be better positioned to um, compete against Bell, Rogers, and Telus. Mm. That's something that I can definitely say. Um, Simon, even big, bigger picture than Shaw, is there here the suggestion that this is going to start to become frequent, not just at carriers, but a lot, a lot of other companies, right? As kind of automation, be, you know, as more companies say they want to move to a self-serve model, Right. Is this something that we're going to see a lot of in Canada? You know, I think it's it's probably a global phenomenon uh, in, in the sense that automation is only going to increase. We know that 
uh, the technology keeps getting better and better. But I got to ask what that means, a self-serve environment. My experience with most of these companies is they're already pushing self-serve really hard. Every time I, I call in to speak to a human being, you have to listen to like a two to three minute message telling you, why don't you go to bell.ca? Why don't you go to rogers.com? You know, we can help you out there. Uh, they they really do not want to be putting people on the phone. So I guess the question is, to what extent can you pair back your human operation to the point where it's all online only? Mm-hmm. Uh, as, a, as a customer, I don't want that. There are so many times where, and I specialize in this, my problem is not the kind of thing you can figure with a checklist. It's always something that needs a human being to go off script and actually think about what's happening. Mm-hmm. I'd be really upset if that went away. Rose and Pat, would you, that's like a great point. What do you, what's your take on that? I mean, there's often things that you, you want to change on your plan and you can't, right? You gotta, it tells you that you got to call in. Um, that happened to me recently when I was trying to change something on my kudo plan. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting. Things can move towards automation, but I don't, I mean, in, in the telecom industry, things can move towards having like apps and automation, but I think there's always going to be a need for customer service, especially for people that aren't, aren't tech savvy, right? Yeah. Yeah, it'll never, there will never reach a, a place of full automation. And I also think that we will reduce calls for sure. I think that it's easier to get even real humans just to do chat, uh, chat help over mm. uh, online. So I think we'll we'll end up going towards that direction. Help through Twitter. We've already seen it become really big for Rogers and Fido, and and now the rest of the carriers are jumping on as well. So social media and chat help, I think, will be really big, um, and that is definitely something that uh, Shaw appears to be pursuing. Mm. But I, again, uh, there's there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of offers to uh, non customer care representatives as well. So. This is that's really only part of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder how would have I think in some sense the big gig and how it turned out looked the way it did. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because Hewitt, our wonderful puppy. Pod dog. Pod, Pod dog, dog is trying to escape in the most hilarious way possible. Um so, so I wonder with the big gig as I pet Hewitt, um, did that look as bad as it did because the carriers were already way too dependent on automation, right? Like there were not enough frontline uh, staff to help customers who wanted to get upgrade their plans to the sixty or sorry, uh, yeah, sixty dollars for ten gigs. I think um, I think what that spoke to, and, and Rogers talked about it on his latest earnings call, the fact that it lost a lot of customers when the system that it had for rate plan changes went down. Um, that's not so much a customer service issue. Uh, it's more of a systems issue in terms of the rate plan changer, which I they've had for a very long time. According to some reports, they've had it since the, the 90s. They've had this system of rate plan changing. Mm. So um, I think that's an issue of needing to upgrade older systems. I'm not sure that it actually relates too much to automation. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, with those things at that you want a person, you want a human at the level that you're actually adding something onto an account. You don't want a robot ever doing that because that, that opens up even more opportunity. Uh, well, I mean, I should say, you know, self-serve, that makes a lot of sense, but 
when it comes to these kinds of special promotional activations, um, you definitely want some, you, uh, you need some gatekeepers for that. And so you need the, the people on the I think front. they were caught off guard a little bit too, no? Like they would have ne- needed to have some sort of uh, like option on the self-serve part of the website in place to be able to facilitate people switching their plans and I, I don't know. And, like, and did, actually, did you think some that, of them, some of them did provide did they? Okay. that. Some of the, I think it was you know Fido or Kudo or maybe both, but I think some of them did Eventually. allow for changing it yourself online. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hewitt wants to uh, make the great escape, so we unfortunately have to wrap it up. <laughs> we are all. <laughs> We're on doggy time here. Uh, we're a doggy time, exactly. Uh, shout outs. <laughs> Rose, do you want to get us started? I'll get us started. Um, so Netflix, who has that $500, uh, $500 million, I should say, investment deal with uh, the Canadian government uh, to get more Canadian content, uh, made one of its first purchases. It acquired a French film called Les Femmes. And um, ironically... The film won't be available on Netflix to Canadians until next year. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to France first and other European countries. It's probably a, a, a rights thing would be would be yeah. my guess. Like they yeah, have it bought up so. for a specific period of time. Mm-hmm. That all that stuff's like such a crazy mess. <laughs> I imagine the Parisians will be like, "What is this Quebecois French? <laughs> it is an affront to our beautiful language." <laughs> anyway, before I insult more French people, <laughs> Pat. Um, so yeah, this week I'll bring I'll bring kind of the Switch minute back. Uh, it's related to Nintendo. It's not about the Switch, uh, but late last night I, I was about to go to bed, and, and out of nowhere, Nintendo announced uh, that the, their next mobile game is going to be Mario Kart Tour, um, which was a little unexpected. Some people thought that it was going to be Zelda. There was uh, I think some Reuters reports about that, um, and that's all we know. Literally, is that the game's coming out? There's there's no photos. There's a photo of a a logo Mario Kart Tour. We know that it's coming in the fiscal year ending in March 2019, but that's it. Um, so my when I first saw it, my mind was kind of racing of different ways that you could translate that game to mobile. I I have a feeling, given Nintendo's track record, that it won't be what we expect. It's not going to be your your typical sort of uh, low to the ground third person kart racing game. It's going to be something a little different. I'm hoping it's not like a real time strategy or something like that. But yeah, uh, given what Nintendo's done in the past with their mobile titles, I'm expecting something a little, a little bit different that uh, people will probably be di- be disappointed by. Oh, that's too bad. I was sort of hoping for like two up racing on 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 two different devices, just you know, sit by side by side. That would be amazing. Yeah. I, I hope that happens. I just I just don't expect it. Yeah. Yeah. Simon. Uh, yeah, I think my shout out uh, is going to go out to something I saw a friend shared on Facebook yesterday, which really caught my eye, and, and that is. Uh, this tendency to try to overlay Nick Cage's face on just about oh, yeah. every other possible actor uh, uh, in any movie anywhere, which is which is kind of great because he's I think only not been in two movies ever, <laughs> yeah. and I, th- I think it's time for those two movies to get a bit of Nicolas Cage. But of course, the, that my mind immediately jumped to okay, well, obviously it's not just Nicolas Cage's face that's going to get that treatment. Now it's open season. Anyone who's got a photo or a video anywhere online, presumably, could be bolted on to any actor in any scene and that gets really creepy hey that's terrifying i mean i another thing that one of our writers samir chabra uh, mentioned was the possibility for political use you know making a video of, of i don't know trump saying something that he didn't actually say 
Um, but it looks exactly like him, right? <laughs> and then further stoking, you know, issues that we have with uh, the U.S. has with international relations. So maybe, it's, it's creepy. Maybe that explains like a lot of the things that he says. Oh my gosh! If only though. <laughs> uh, quickly, my shout out goes to Rogers who raised the Rome like home feast this week. <laughs> so, how much? How much did they go up? Uh, so international fees went up uh, two dollars to from ten dollars to twelve dollars per day. And they also raised the limit, which used to be 10 days to 15 days. So instead of paying $100 for a trip, you will now pay $180. And, this, and if you if your billing cycle lands like resets when you're on that trip, could buy good riddance to you because you're going to be paying even more. Right? So um, Room Like Home, which used to be the most compelling uh, option, is now one of the least so suddenly uh room mobility looks a little more attractive right if you're yeah. traveling to the u.s yeah. yeah is is that only in the u.s that they're room mobility no no the um room like home room like home it's yes. it's it's more than just the u.s right it's the u.s and 100 in uh, destinations international okay i see yeah so cool um simon where can people find you oh as always uh on twitter at actually simon uh or or look for my uh, stuff on on mobile syrup and digital trends. Have you uh, published anything recently? Uh, recently, what have was I, oh I know I uh, recently published a review of you know uh, Tivoli the guys who make the the small uh, cool little speakers the kind of retro ones that they're, they're very mono yeah um, so they recently came out with a fully digital version of of the Tivoli Model One called the Model One Digital great name uh, and I tested that out because they're now very much playing in Sonos's backyard and. Not very successfully, unfortunately. I, I really wanted to like this one because I think they're a cool company and they got a cool product. But yeah, they, they're not quite there. All right. Rose, where can people find you? Oh, they can find me at Rose Bahar. I am an absolutely copious tweeter. That's a lie. But mm. you, you can find me you there sometimes. You can learn something from Pat. Yeah. All I do is tweet hot takes. <laughs> um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter tweeting, tweeting hot takes or... Uh, Making a tweet that has a bunch of spelling errors in it that then gets picked up by Twitter moments, uh, which which happened to me last night, which which has been a fun day. Um, but yeah, that, that's where you can find me, and then you can find all my content on uh, Mobile Syrup. Speaking of Twitter, what I said at the start was uh, a tweet from Twellis. Yeah, a tweet, Excuse me, that was translated from French by our friend Josh McConnell into English with the help of Bing, and it. Just butchered it. So there you go. Bing, get better with translations. <laughs> um, on that note, you can find Mobile Syrup on your social media network of choice at Mobile Syrup, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show My again. My pleasure. Thank you for having me back. Anytime. Uh, and we'll see you guys next week. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 